This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the 15th day of April 2021. Monsoon-like conditions heading here for the Northeast. It's raining out now. It's supposed to get heavy during the day. Uh, but northern New England is supposed to get snow. They're talking about parts of the White Mountains and the Green Mountains getting perhaps as much as a foot of snow in the middle of April. I mean, it's not, un, you know, it's not unheard of here in New England, obviously, but not something that's ideal. But fortunately, where I am here in the middle of the state of Connecticut, uh, just some rain, uh, much needed rain and uh, the snow farther up north and they can keep it. Um, lots to talk about, obviously, the Red Sox, and we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, their win streak has reached an improbable nine. And, uh, you know, and look, they're taking advantage of the fact that the rest of the American League East is beating up on each other or underperforming. The Yankees lose again. Uh, the Rays lose again. You know, the only team, the Red Sox are the only team over 500. Toronto reached 500 yesterday, but uh, enjoy it while you can. I mean, uh, we all know that the Yankees are, with that lineup are going to get going. Their pitching has been the issue there, so we'll see. Um, but nine in a row. I don't want to get too giddy because, again, you know, every team, even teams that lose 100 games a year can have a have one uh, hot streak. Maybe the Red Sox are just having theirs in the beginning. I'd like to think it's the start of something big, but we'll see. All right, so before we get to what went on in Major League Baseball yesterday, um, I want to talk about the story that came out yesterday about the experimental rule changes that Major League Baseball is going to use with the Atlantic League this summer. Now, the Atlantic League is an independent league. The teams are not affiliated with uh, Major League Baseball teams, but it is uh, a, a league that Major League Baseball has used in the last couple of years to experiment with certain things like the robot umpires and uh, some other rule changes. Well, there's a couple of big ones that they are going to try this year. The first is a pretty big one in that they are going to move the mound back 12 inches. So instead of throwing from 60 feet, 6 inches, you're going to throw from 61 feet, 6 inches. They're doing this because what they want to do is cut down on the number of strikeouts. Strikeouts in baseball have gotten out of hand. Here's an example. Uh, it would, it's gone up every season since 2005. And in 2005, the strikeout rate was 16.4%. Through the games on Monday, the strikeout rate was 24.9%. So one out of every four at-bats in the major leagues across the board resulted in a strikeout. That is not exactly what you would call 
uh, scintillating entertainment. You know, and that's the problem that's happened in the major leagues is it's become an all or nothing league. You either strike out or you hit a bomb. Seriously, that's all anybody cares about, it seems. And the constant harping by the media on exit velocity, you know, uh, launch angle, uh, velocity of pitches, whether somebody's throwing 101 or 103, or, you know, it's all about these huge numbers. And that's what everybody's glomming onto. So what the hell do you expect? Everybody's going to say, wow, that's the way to go. And so, you know, so the, 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 the media and the analytics people are kind of their own worst enemies here because by constantly harping on this, they're getting people to concentrate just on that and the problem continues to get worse. So they're going to move the mound back and they said what happens by moving it back that 12 inches. It is the equivalent of a uh, 93 mile an hour fastball, a 93.3 mile an hour fastball becoming a 91.6 mile-an-hour fastball. By the way, that was the average fastball velocity 10 years ago. 91.6, all right? That was the average fastball velocity in 2011. The average fastball velocity in the 2020 season, that shortened season last year, was 93.3. So, obviously, guys are throwing harder and throwing faster. And so this isn't a, a way to try to bring, uh, to level the playing field a little bit. I have to tell you, I my first reaction was, what are you, nuts? I mean, 60 feet, 6 inches, is that is, you know, sacrosanct. You don't mess with that. That's like one of the first, you know, you learn that it's 90 feet between the bases. It's 60 feet, 6 inches from the home plate to, to the catcher. So, you know, you don't mess with that. Um, and my other concern was, all right, so you move it back 12 inches. Well, pitchers have been, you know, from the time that they've been growing up, it's always been 60 feet, six inches. So you learn, uh, and, and it's muscle memory and guys are going to get hurt. Well, there's, there was a study done by the American sports medicine Institute in 2019 and they, they did it with collegiate players and they found that throwing from different distances, starting at 60 feet, six inches, as far as 63.8 inches or 63 feet, eight inches, there was no significant difference in rotational motion or acceleration, velocity and strike percentage stayed consistent, you know, from 60 feet, six inches all the way back to 63 feet, eight inches. All right. So that, so that's the first thing it's uh, all right. That's been dispelled. Um, and there is precedent in baseball for changing the mound. Now, 60 feet, six inches has been the standard since 1893. Okay, that's a long time. But think about this. When the game first started, it was 55 feet away. So it was. So they moved it back five feet. Um, and what happened was is that the strikeout rate, and this is now, look, it was a long time ago, all right? But the strikeout rate dropped from 8.5% to 5.2%. And batting average increased by 35 points. That was pretty dramatic, all right? Um, so, But it's been a long time. 1893 is a long time. But if you remember, and a lot of you won't because you're not as old as I am, but in 1969, one of the changes that Major League Baseball did is they lowered the height of the mound from 15 inches to 10 inches. Why? Because in 1968, 
it was the year of the pitcher, and that was the year that Bob Gibson had a, a an ERA of like one point one point seven, one point eight, something like that. I don't remember the exact number. Um, so they lowered the mound from fifteen inches to ten inches. Well, what happened? Strikeout rate dropped, and batting average went up seven points. So. That, and that was as recently as 1969. So there is precedent for monkeying with the height and the distance from home plate. So I'm not my, – my first reaction was, I don't like it. It's wrong. <laughs> you know, what are you doing? The more I think about it, the more I look at the numbers, the more I look into that study where there was no uh, adverse effects to the pitchers, I said, well – why not? And here's the thing, you know, people say, well, you know, these guys are going to hurt their arms. Instead of throwing from 60 feet, six inches, they're going to throw from 61, six. So they're going to hurt their arms. I'm not buying that either because, you know, I mean, look, guys are making throws from the outfield all the time. They're making throws from shortstop, from third base that are longer than 60 feet, six inches. And, you know, guys aren't hurting their arms by making those kind of throws. I know the pitcher makes more of them, but I think the injury thing is overblown. I wasn't worried about injuries as much as I was that one extra foot making a difference in the break of the ball and, and guys being able to throw strikes. But the study showed that it didn't really have any adverse effects on that. All it did was give the batter that much little extra time to decide whether to swing at the pitch or not. And, and, and look, if you've ever stood at the plate when a guy's throwing 90 miles an hour, your reaction time is infinitesimal and those extra 12 inches is going to be infinitesimal but it's infinitesimal on top of infinitesimal which I guess is a little bit better uh you know one of the reasons why I was never a great baseball player and gave up my baseball career fairly early and became a great softball player is I couldn't hit the fastball I could hit the breaking ball but I couldn't hit a fastball my my swing was too long and I could not hit a fastball Throw me a breaking ball. Throw me a curveball. I'll, I, I, you know, but as soon as guys figured out that I couldn't hit a fastball, that's all I saw. So, you know, and these guys are at an elite level, and that extra 12 inches will make a difference. So I'm okay with this. Um, now, what they're going to do, and, and, and this is the smart way to do it, it's going to be for the second half of the season. Now, the Atlantic League plays about 120 games. So for the first 60 games, it'll be 60 feet, 6 inches. And then the second 60 games, they will move it back the foot. Why are they doing that? Well, because it becomes a control group. The first 60 games, you'll, you'll have the stats for the first 60 when everything was normal, and then you'll be able to look at the stats from the second 60 games and see what difference it made in uh, batting average, uh, you know, velocity, all that stuff. You'll, you know, and so balls put in play, et cetera, et cetera. So... I'm okay with this. I really am. Um, and I'm as a traditionalist as they come, but I am not against this. Now, the second rule that they're going to experiment with, and this one is kind of fascinating to me. And I I have to tell you, I looked at this and I said, I kind of like this too. And you heard me yesterday. I was railing like, they got to stop messing you know, with stuff. They got to, you know, but I like this rule that they're going to try. It, they're calling it the double hook rule. So, you know, how with the DH, so this is going to, instead of designated hitter, it's going to be the double hook rule. And what does that mean? 
It means that teams will start with a designated hitter. As soon as you pull your starting pitcher, you also lose the designated hitter. So then the pitcher, your relief pitcher, goes into that DH slot. Now, you know, that is, okay. you know, look, pitchers, when relief pitchers come in now, they don't bat. You know, when a relief pitcher's turn at bat comes up, they pinch it for them all the time. And that's what they would do here. The difference is you start with a DH, and if let's say you're the Minnesota Twins. You've got Nelson Cruz who can hit 40 bombs, and he's your DH because he can't play the field anymore. And then you take him out of the game, Well, then, or you take your pitcher out of the game, but you also lose Nelson Cruz. You lose a big bat in your lineup. Okay, why are they doing this? Well, they're trying to encourage teams to let their starting pitchers go a little bit longer. If you know you're losing perhaps the biggest bat in your lineup when you take out your starting pitcher, maybe you would be more inclined to let that starting pitcher go another inning. Um, I'm not against this either. You know, it's actually kind of a compromise between the universal DH and, uh, you know, the, the split that we have now with the NL pitchers hitting. I don't think this is a horrible rule. Um, you know, and, and look, I know pitchers can't hit. <laughs> you know, and now you'll say that and you'll say, well, you know, the Burns, the pitcher from Milwaukee yesterday, had a two-run single. Yes, I know. Well, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. You know, the same thing with, uh, you know, they talk about what a great hitter uh, a guy like Madison Bumgarner is. He's not a great hitter. He can hit one out every now and then. But if you look at his career batting statistics, they're hideous. There have been a handful of great hitting pitchers in the history of baseball. There have been some pitchers that are legit hitters, but there aren't many. So, you know, if we can't come to an agreement, this, this, I like this because I also like seeing pitchers go deeper into games. And we've seen that early in the season here. I've actually been pleasantly surprised at how long some of these starters have been allowed to go. I mean, we saw Lance Lynn throw a shutout the other day, a complete game shutout. Uh, we've seen two no-hitters where guys have been allowed to throw 115 pitches in April. I love that. It's the way it's supposed to be. You know, we've gotten to a point where we are devaluing starters, you know, and, and you know, blame the, the Tampa Rays, you know, because they're kind of at the forefront of this. You know, with the whole opener thing and, you know, throwing guys, you know, 87 guys in a game. And, you know, so pitchers have been, starting pitchers have been devalued. So I like teams trying to extend their guys out. You know, now it's like you throw five innings. Actually, sometimes in some cases, you throw four and a third innings and, Jesus, you're walking off the field to a standing ovation. Are you kidding me? You go five innings and you're a hero. You know, it used to be if you didn't go at least seven, you had a crappy day. You know what I mean? So I, I'm I'm uh, I'm all for trying to extend these starting pitchers out a little bit. And so I like this double hook rule too. I, I know, I know. I I was as surprised as anybody, but I don't think they're bad rules. Um, I'm especially fascinated about the the moving the mound back. You know, if it cuts down on strikeouts and it puts more balls in play, it's going uh, to do two things. 
It's going to make the game more exciting because there'll be more action on the field. But it is also going to shorten the games because now instead of, you know, throwing eight pitches to a guy trying to strike him out, you know, maybe the ball's put in play a lot faster and the, the innings move quicker. And we don't have three-hour and 30-minute games. You know, maybe it will make a difference in game time. I, I don't know. I, I hope. Uh, you know, and if you combine that with a pitch clock, well, you know, then maybe we're then maybe we're getting back into the realm of two hour and forty five minute games, which would be huge. It'd be awesome. You know, and and you know, you look at you look at like hockey and basketball games; they're taking two and a half hours, but stuff's happening constantly in those games. In baseball, there's a lot of standing around. Football's another sport; it takes three three plus hours. And people love football, and don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to dump on the NFL. But if you think about the actual amount of time they're actually playing football and not in a huddle, it's very small, right? You know, you got, what, 30, 40 seconds between plays, and teams are taking every every second sometimes. The play lasts about four or five seconds, and then you're back in a huddle for, you know, another, you know, 30 seconds. There's not a lot of action in football either, but somehow they, they there's not you don't hear a lot of screaming about that. And how about how long the games take? But it's convenient to scream about baseball. But I agree. I mean, when, growing up, when you know games used to be two and a half hours, sometimes less, it was a beautiful thing. Uh, so if we can do some things to get back to that, it'd be great. So anyway, a couple of new rules. I think they're I think they're a good uh, attempt. And I will be fascinated to see how they play out, you know, and whether they are the kind of things that get talked about in the next collective bargaining agreement, which is going to be coming up the negotiations after this year. We'll see. Uh, Robot umps may be coming sooner than we might like. Um, I still don't know how I feel about that. There are times I hate the idea. There are times when I watch games and I see uh, umpires giving pitches or missing pitches uh, drives me nuts, and then I scream for one. So there's no making me happy. So I don't. I still don't know how I feel about that. I don't necessarily like taking the human aspect out of things because that's been a part of baseball forever, right? The human element, and and anything that that kind of takes that away and turns this into uh, uh, turns it over to uh, robots and automation, I'm not necessarily for. Which is one of the reasons why I hate instant replay is because it has slowed the game down so much. And most of the time, the umpires get it right. You know, 95% of the time they get it right. And, you know, and, and even sometimes on the replays, I saw one yesterday where there was a play in the Met game where they gave Brandon Nimmo a base hit when it clearly looked like the first baseman had, uh, had held the bag and they still called him safe. And even the Met announcers were like, are you kidding me? <laughs> what the hell are they looking at? So I'm not. I, I'm still not convinced about the whole robot umpire thing, but we'll see. But these two, not bad. All right, uh, 25 minutes past the hour. I got a lot of stuff to talk about with the Red Sox, so we'll start it here. We'll take a break, and you know we can talk a little bit more. But uh, nine games. If you told me going into yesterday – that the Red Sox were going to sweep a doubleheader against a very good Minnesota team, a team that is probably going to make the playoffs, should make the playoffs, and they were going to throw Jose Barrios and Kenta Maeda, and the Red Sox were going to sweep that doubleheader, I would have asked you for some of what you were smoking. I didn't think there was any chance that was going to happen. 
and yet here we are. <laughs> uh, the Red Sox won the first game 3-2, to two, despite leaving a small village on base. I think they left 12 runners on base in seven innings. Uh, and still won it 3-2. to two. They had three runs on 11 hits. Well, why'd they win it? Well, hey, how about pitching? Nate Evaldi was really shaky early. Uh, Alex Cora had a reliever up in the third inning. You know, it, it looked like uh, Nate Evaldi's day might be a very short one. He settled down. He ends up going five innings, and here's another example. Hey, you went five innings. Here's a cookie. You know, people are, you know, he, he gave up five hits, two runs, struck out three, didn't walk anybody. You know, I mean, that's not a bad line, but didn't bring him back out for the sixth. He had thrown 82 pitches. They didn't bring him back out. All right, there's your cookie. Darwin's and Hernandez came in, and lo and behold, he actually pitched the sixth inning and didn't walk anybody. <laughs> pitched a scoreless six. Matt Barnes came on, got his second save of the season, allowed just his second base runner of the season to reach base, but still struck out two, and the Sox hold on to win three to two. Uh, just... Uh, one where you feel like they escaped because they didn't get the big hits when they need it. They did get some help from Maeda, uh, who allowed three runs on seven hits. Only two of the runs were earned because uh, of an error, a throwing error by him. You know, So he actually hurt himself. And then in the second game, Barrios was cruising. Minnesota had a one nothing lead. Barrios was cruising uh, into the fifth inning. And then the wheels kind of came off. And uh, he ends up giving up four runs in four and a third innings. And, you know, he had retired nine of the first ten guys he faced. And then all of a sudden he couldn't find the strike zone. He ends up walking uh, Franchi Cordero with the bases loaded to tie the game. They take him out. Uh, they bring in Duffy out of the bullpen. And uh, then things unraveled really fast. Rafael Devers um, with a, uh, a double. Vasquez walks Bobby Dahlbeck with a single, uh, you know, and then Duffy strikes out Hernandez, but Alex Verdugo then with a big hit. And as I said, Devers with the, with the two run single and uh, game over. They end up winning at seven to one. Uh, Erod gets another cookie, went five innings, five hits a run, struck out five, walk one. I have no problem with this because this is a guy that didn't pitch last year. You know, and they're going to be very careful with him. He only threw 76 pitches, but you can't, you know, when a guy hasn't pitched uh, in a year, you know, and he's coming off uh, having uh, the coronavirus and myocarditis, you've got to be careful with him. And so I have less trouble with him going five. Um, and uh, he picks up his second win of the season. Whitlock out of the bullpen, the Rule 5 guy, another strong inning. God, I love this kid. And uh, then Bizarro, a guy that they brought up as the 27th man for the doubleheader, walked a couple of guys uh, in the seventh inning. But uh, it didn't matter at that point, and the Red Sox win both games of the doubleheader. Absolutely stunning. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, you barely even remember the fact that the Sox lost the first three games of the season to the Orioles. I mean, it's, it's nuts. So, is this a trend? Well, Obviously, fans uh, of the Boston Red Sox hope so. We'll talk about that when we come back. We've got to take a break. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. Uh, quick programming note, no show tomorrow. Uh, I have the delivery men coming tomorrow morning. I've got 80 bags of mulch and a bunch of other stuff for the garden and the flower beds and everything coming tomorrow, so I'm not going to be able to be on the air because the delivery is scheduled for uh, when I'd be on the air, so... 
Uh, no show tomorrow. We'll take a long weekend, and we'll be back on Monday. Oh, one other quick thing. My bagels, my bagels were a success. Uh, I mentioned yesterday that I had tried making them for the first time, and I have come to the conclusion that this is one of the things that I will do again. It, I was worried that it was something that was best left for the to the professionals, but they came out really, really good. I was pleasantly surprised. Even my wife was was uh, thought they were great. So uh, I was uh, I was very happy. Um, so um, I've got sesame bagels and poppy seed bagels, and just uh, I'm a happy guy. So now I just got to make sure I don't run out of cream cheese while I still have the bagels in the house. But uh, all right, let's get back to uh, baseball. Yesterday. And, and, you know, is this a trend for the Red Sox? Well, look, here's what we know. This team will go as far as the pitching can take it because we know they're going to score runs. You know, think about it right now. I mean, obviously, J.D. Martinez has been hot as a pistol. Bogarts is, is hitting now. Uh, Devers starting to hit. Alex Verdugo starting to hit. They still have guys that haven't done anything. They've got Hunter Renfro, who is, you know, hitting under 200. Kike Hernandez, who right now can't hit his way out of a wet paper bag. Marwin Gonzalez at the plate has been awful. Um, and yet this team is one, has won nine in a row. So, you know, they still don't even have everybody firing on all cylinders. So we know they're going to score runs. But at the end of the day, you know, can this team continue? Again, only one bad start this season so far, and that's been the one by Garrett Richards. We'll find out Garrett Richards uh, and started off his second start by giving up two home runs in the first inning. He's going to start the season finale this afternoon or against Minnesota this afternoon. Uh, if he throws another good one and they get it to ten, you know, maybe I'll start believing in this. You know, and the other the other piece here, and I I don't want to I don't want to overblow this, but at the same time, if you remember back in 2018. Everything that Alex Cora did turned to gold. It was like he knew how to pull the strings. He was he was the magic man. And so anytime Alex Cora did something where you might ordinarily go, huh, it would work out. And you'd say, all right, I'm not going to question this guy anymore. Whatever he wants to do is fine with me. Well, another situation, he did this yesterday. Um, in the first game, he decides to use Kike Hernandez as a pinch hitter in the sixth inning for Franchi Cordero. Now, Hernandez comes in, he pops up. He doesn't do anything at the plate. So you're going, well, geez, Cordero could have done that, Kike. But what was lost in this was that it by doing that, he then put Kike Hernandez in the outfield in center field, he moved Alex Verdugo out of center field, put him in left where Cordero was. Well, how did the game end? The game ended on a diving catch by Alex Verdugo in left field that I guarantee you Franchi Cordero isn't going to get to, and perhaps that game gets tied up. Or actually, if that had gotten by Verdugo, Minnesota probably would have won the game. I believe there were two runners on. No, there was only one runner on. So they would have tied the game up because Matt Barnes had walked the guy with one out. So they would have tied it up. And then who knows what happens after that. But because Verdugo, because Verdugo was in left field, because Alex Cora made the decision 
to pinch hit and make his outfield defense better. And I want to, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm, you know, I'm sure part of Verdugo's, or, or I mean, uh, Alex Cora's thinking was, hey, you know, <laughs> I got to have to put him out there anyway because I got to, I got to shore up. It's a three-two game. I got to make sure we got our best defenders out in the outfield. So I want him out there anyway. Might as well pinch hit him. He got a lefty, a lefty pitcher. So let's get the lefty out of there. Throw Kike in, and uh, you know. But again, Alex Cora pushes the right buttons, and so far he has pushed all the right buttons uh, in this nine-game winning streak. Uh, so maybe, maybe there's some of that Cora magic. Of course, that Cora magic wasn't there in 2019. Everything they did, he did right in 2018, seemed to bounce or to backfire in 2019. But you know. Stranger things have happened. And the last time the Red Sox had a nine-game winning streak, by the way, was, yeah, you got it, 2018. So we'll see. I mean, it's it's way too early. You try not to get giddy, but there are a lot of positive signs, especially with this pitching staff and especially also with this bullpen. The basic steal of Adam Adovino from the Yankees was huge. The steal of Garrett Whitlock as a Rule 5 guy <laughs> may have been the the most underrated steal uh, of the year for Bloom, And the change that the Red Sox have made in Matt Barnes, they got with Matt Barnes and said, look, you need to throw your fastball more. You need to be more aggressive out of the bullpen. You need to stop nibbling you got a fastball that you can throw 96 plus miles an hour and yeah you got a great curveball but you got to work off of the fastball I mean how many times did we see Matt Barnes come in late in games and throw curveball after curveball after curveball now he's throwing gas and now when he throws a curveball it's to set guys up after he's thrown a fastball or two or three and guys are swinging through them you know, and again, the, 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 the stats that you have now are ridiculous. But they 31% on all of his pitches are swing and miss. That's the second highest rate in the American League. Guess who's the most? You got it. Aroldis Chapman, who throws 102 miles an hour. And his is 31.7. But Barnes is getting guys to swing and miss because he's pitching smarter. When I watched him pitch at UConn when he was here, he wasn't nibbling. He was coming in, he was throwing gas and said, here, try to hit this. Well, he's faced 23 batters this season. Two of them have gotten on base. Two of them. And one of them was yesterday when he walked the guy. He's not a lot of hit over seven innings, while he, his last seven innings, while he struck out 14. Six straight hitless appearances to start the season. Uh, is uh, the third longest in Red Sox history. So there's that. you know. And so if Garrett Richards keeps it going today and this pitching staff continues to find a way, if the Nick Pavettas and the Martin Perezes can find a way to give the Red Sox six innings the way they've been doing and knowing that you have Chris Sale coming probably in July. Now, we don't know what Chris Sale we're going to get. Whether Now, the, the supposed plan is, is when he's ready to go, they're bringing him back as a starter. They're not planning on putting him in the bullpen. 
Now, his first few starts may be, hey, you're going to come out and you're going to throw 50 pitches, so it might be a three-inning start. But be that as it may, by the end of the season, you hope he's ramped up. So if, if these guys can keep this going, and I know it, it's a long way. They've played 12 games. There's, there's 150 to go. And they could lose their next 10 in a row, and we're saying, oh, I remember the good times. But all signs point to some positive things happening here. Again, long way to go. But if you there was if you had asked me at the start of the year, do you think at any point this Red Sox team is going to win nine in a row? I would have looked at that pitching staff and I would have said, you've got a better chance of being struck by lightning. And yet here we are. Here we are. And on top of that, the Yankees lose yesterday. Bo Bichette with a walk-off home run, leading off the ninth inning off of Chad Green, his second home run of the game, and the Blue Jays beat the Yankees 5-4. to four. God, you hate to see that happen, don't you? And again, Yankees starting pitching, struggling. Outside of Garrett Cole, the Yankee starters have a combined record of 1-4. and four, And they have allowed 28 runs and 48 hits over 36 and two-thirds innings. Garrett Cole has been great. But 28 runs in 36 and two-thirds innings in nine other starts by guys not named Garrett Cole is ugly. Corey Kluber pitched yesterday, four innings, six hits, three runs, walked a couple of guys, gave up two bombs, has an ERA of six. Now, again, this is a guy that is coming off of a couple of injuries, and he's, he, you know, but he's older, but he's probably going to get better. You would expect, you know, uh, some of these other guys to pitch better down the road, but right now, it's a train wreck, an absolute train wreck. And I was one of those guys that was pissed at the Red Sox for not signing Kluber. The Yankees gave him ten million bucks, uh, and I think they, you know, for whatever reason, they went a little bit higher than the Red Sox. And I wanted the Red Sox to sign Kluber, and I was pissed that they didn't. Now I'm okay with it. <laughs> I may not sing the same tune in July, but again, the Re- the Yankees starting pitching is letting them down. Uh, they wasted a couple of home runs from Aaron Judge yesterday. He had a couple of missiles. He went three for four in this one. Um, and so the Yankees fall to five and seven. The Blue Jays, the only other team in the American League East, um, at uh, 500. So now the Yankees play against Tampa, you know, and you know, it's not getting any easier. Now you look at the Red Sox and yeah, you know, they've got Minnesota today. And uh, if the Red Sox can somehow come out of that and head back home with with ten wins in a row, but then you look at the fact that yeah, you got a you got the Chicago White Sox coming in next. Oof, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's not getting any easier for Boston, but they're sure feeling a whole hell of a lot better about themselves uh, than the Toronto Blue. I mean, than the New York Yankees are right now. And then there's the New York Mets, and the Mets win again. They beat the Phillies yesterday 5-3. to three. Uh, David Peterson, who had been absolutely hideous against the Phillies in his career, 
Struck out 10 over six innings, gave up just one run on three hits, didn't walk anybody. And uh, Zach Wheeler loses to his old team yesterday. And the Philly bullpen, again, does a, uh, I mean, the Mets bullpen does a good job. Jarese Familia uh, was a little shaky. He walks a guy, gives up a hit. He get They get him out of there after a third of an inning. But then Aaron Loop comes in, pitches an inning and two-thirds, and then Edwin Diaz closes it out, strikes out two in the ninth inning. Uh, and the Mets go to five and three. The Phillies now... Uh, Back to 500 at six and six. Um, series finale this afternoon. Jacob Degrom, zero uh, and one with an 0.64 ERA. He's allowed one run in 14 innings this season with 21 strikeouts. Uh, he will go against Zach Eflin. Uh, Eflin has not won a game this year, but has pitched fairly well. So, uh, but you would have to think that uh, if this game is played, and that's a big if because it's raining here in the Northeast. I don't know what it's like in Philly, but. I suspect that they may not be able to get this game in. If they do, it'll be Jacob DeGrom uh, this afternoon. Then word comes down, and again, we've talked about what a what a mess the whole Mets franchise is. Come to find out, Jed Lowry, who signed that two-year, $10 million deal uh, with the Mets, played like eight games for him. Didn't play at all last year. Come to find out that uh, he had been diagnosed uh, with a condition called a, it was a knee fat pad impingement. It was very painful. And, uh, his doctor, uh, recommended surgery after a second opinion, the Mets refused to allow him to have the surgery and actually threatened to file a grievance against him. If he got the surgery. This is what Lowry told the media yesterday. So finally, when the 2020 season was over, he didn't play for them. He got the surgery. Well, guess what Jed Lowry's doing this year? He's tearing the cover off the ball. He's hitting 333 with a 964 OPS. He's got two homers, 11 runs, batted in in 12 games since having the knee surgery. The same surgery that the Mets wouldn't allow him to have. Luis Rojas, the manager of the Mets, actually acknowledged yesterday that he knew that Lowry wanted to get the surgery. And he said, uh, uh, he said, I had a few conversations with him about it. I was aware he wanted to have the surgery, but those were conversations. Uh, there were some conversations that I wasn't really a part of basically throwing the met management under the bus saying, yeah, I knew. And the people upstairs said no. And that was above my pay grade. Typical Mets. And I'm a big Jed Lowry fan, always have been. He's 37 years old, and he's still hitting the ball well. He's been one of those guys, no matter where he goes, he's a gamer. And uh, so uh, I'm glad to see him doing well. And I just, when I saw this thing about the Mets, all I could do was laugh out loud because it's just typical Mets. 47 minutes past the hour. We've got to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Thursday morning. So, uh, this was entertaining yesterday um, after I watched uh, uh, the Mets game. I turned on the Major League Baseball Network and they and I could have watched. I have the MLB uh, TV app or, and I could have watched the game uh, live myself, but I didn't feel like firing it up. So I had just turned on the Major League Baseball Network to check out highlights and they had live cut ins of Carlos Rodon's no hitter yesterday for the Chicago White Sox. This was. Uh, Again, this was another example of here we are late, you know, I mean, early in the season and late in games, despite having thrown 100 pitches, Rodon's still out there, a guy that has had Tommy John surgery and a string of injuries through his career. 
and Tony La Russa left him out there. And uh, it was fun. And he ends up throwing a no-hitter. He had a perfect game going into the ninth inning. And what happens? He hits Roberto Perez on the back foot with a slider on an 0-2 pitch. He's trying to waste a pitch and get (laughs) Perez to just swing at it. And uh, he hits him on the back foot. And Rodon couldn't believe it. He actually asked the umpire, are you sure? (laughs) But then he comes back and he struck out Yu Chang and then retired Jordan Lupro on a uh, ground to the third base. And instead of a perfect game, he ends up with a no-hitter. He would have been the fourth White Sox pitcher to ever throw a perfect game. But he gets the no-hitter anyway, the second no-hitter of the season. Uh, And good for him. Uh, You know, I mean, a guy that uh, wasn't even offered a contract by Chicago. That's the best part of this. Um, he was out of a job. He uh, In December, they declined to offer him a contract, so he was a free agent. He ends up signing a deal on February 1st, a one-year deal for $3 bucks. How about that? You know, your team doesn't even want you, and you have to sign for less than, than you were making just to have a, a, a spot, and you end up throwing a no-hitter for him. So good for him. He struck out seven uh, over the nine innings. This game was over early, so the the no-hitter was the only drama because Zach Plesak got to start for the Indians, didn't get out of the first inning, gave up seven hits and six runs uh, in two-thirds of an inning. And uh, this one got uh, ugly very quickly. And uh, the White Sox went at 8 nothing, but uh, Rodon with the no-hitter, which was pretty cool. Um, the, the series finale is today, this afternoon, actually. Aaron Savali from right here from uh, East Windsor, Connecticut, We'll get the start for Cleveland. He's 2-0. and And uh, Lance Lynn, who is coming off his second career shutout, uh, struck out 11 when he beat Kansas City last week, will get the start for the White Sox. So uh, the White Sox have already had a couple of complete games this year. That's something that you never see. And I, I wonder if there's something in the fact that you have a 76-year-old manager out there who's an old-school guy, and maybe that's why this is happening. I, I don't know, but I love it. Um, and how about... Those Miami Marlins, uh, they beat the Braves again yesterday, 6-5. to five. Uh, They blew a 5 nothing lead and then end up winning it in the 10th inning on a uh, double by Jesus Aguilar in the extra inning. Starling Marte started the, the inning at second base as the, uh, the uh, runner, and then Aguilar leads off with the double, and then uh, Yimmy Garcia with uh, the save. And Miami moves to five and six, and the Atlanta Braves, the team that Major League Baseball and everybody wants to, you know, uh, worship at the altar of right now, is four and eight. Now they're going to win; they're going to be better than that. But again, you know, four and eight, and Miami's five and six. Miami's not making the playoffs. I what they did last year was a lot of fun, and I said this, you know, early. You know, what they did, they were able to do because it was a 60-game season. Over the course of 162, I don't see them having the staying power, but good for them. Uh, and, and by the way, I mean, th- there's nobody hotter in baseball right now than Ronald Acuna Jr. You know, he, <laughs> he had a hell of a day yesterday, two homers and a double. He is 14 for his last 24 with four homers and eight RBI. Think about that. That's crazy. But Atlanta is now four and eight. 
and uh, they trail the first place New York Mets by three games. It's way early to look at the standings, but again, uh, great great job by Don Mattingly and the uh, Miami Marlins. Love to see that. Uh, Johnny Cueto picks up another win yesterday. Uh, he beat the Cincinnati Reds, but the concern here, if you are a San Francisco Giant fan, is that Cueto took himself out of the game uh, with two outs in the sixth inning. He felt some kind of a a twinge in his lat muscle and called the training staff out and pulled himself from the game. Uh, He had pitched great, five and two-thirds, three hits, no runs. He didn't walk anybody, struck out four, but uh, uh, did not feel right and so asked to come out. Now, if you're the Giants, you got to hope it's not too bad. And this is, by the way, on the heels of the game before that when he had pitched, he pitched into the ninth inning, almost had a shutout, and I think they took him out with two outs in the inning. Uh, because he just ran out of gas and uh, ended up losing the shutout, but uh, pitched great, but threw like 115 or 120 pitches, and now he comes out and you know feels the lap muscle. He's 35 years old, um, so hopefully it's nothing serious. Uh, but that uh, not good news, obviously, if you are a Giant fan. And if you're a Red fan, I mean, this is a team that was tearing the cover off the ball. Now, all of a sudden, they can't hit anything. Only ended up with four hits off of Giants pitching yesterday. And they, despite the great start, I think they started 6-1. and one. They're now 7-5. and five. Uh, And how about the Detroit Tigers sweeping the Houston Astros? A.J. Hinch comes back to Houston, and they sweep the Astros. Now, to be fair, now they had won the first couple of games, but to be fair with yesterday's game, uh, Houston was without a whole bunch of people. Uh, they had no Jose Altuve, no Alex Bregman, no Jordan Alvarez because they had all been put on the COVID-19 list. Uh, the Astros had to put five players overall on that list yesterday. So they were a little undermanned, to be sure. Uh, but they had Lance McCullers Jr. on the mound, and he had been pitching very well, but not yesterday. Three and two-thirds, four hits, six runs, walked three guys. And Michael Fulmer gets the win for Detroit, gets his uh, gets a cookie because he goes five innings, gives up three hits and two runs. But it was his first win since 2018. This is a guy who was a great young pitcher. Maybe people thought that he was going to be the next uh, star for the Tigers, and he just fell off the planet. As a matter of fact, he had started this season in the bullpen, got the start yesterday, and and pitched well enough to get the win. So, But great for A.J. Hinch coming back and uh, uh, beating the Houston Astros. And uh, Houston falls to 6-6 six and six after their 6-1 and one start. They've lost five in a row. And now the Tigers have picked it up, and they're 6-6. Six and six. Not going to last. Enjoy it while you can, Tiger fans. That's going to do it for us here this morning. Uh, again, no show tomorrow. We'll be back Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Hope you enjoy the weekend. Here's some music from Jimmy Allen and Brad Paisley. Freedom was a highway. Have a great day.